0: The following message is from Pastor Peter Cho of Emanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at EmanuelCommunity.org. Since coming back from sabbatical, as, as you can see, I, I've, I've kind of felt this conviction to preach on the topic of Sabbath rest. You know, um, as Kim mentioned just a few minutes ago, uh, we are committed to giving our regular teachers a break this summer to honor this idea, and frankly, uh, you know, to recognize the wisdom of the Sabbath. But I felt led to speak on it today because I I don't feel I actually really understood what it was and what a gift it is for us um, until really this year. And to be honest, I'm still learning. And let me say, this this idea of Sabbath is not just for pastors who have reached a seven-year work anniversary. It's for all of God's people, which is why we find it embedded in the Ten Commandments as the fourth of the Ten Commands. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, I want to read uh, a little more detail as to what God t- tells us about the Sabbath and in this command. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I believe this is one of the most misunderstood commands in Scripture, not just for us in our day, but even in Bible times. And we know this because there's probably nothing that Jesus argued about with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law more than the topic of the Sabbath. And this issue issue is actually one of the main reasons why the religious elite were so dedicated to, to just getting rid of Jesus and even crucifying him. And yet Jesus never gave ground on this. And so if it's that important to Jesus, shouldn't it also be important to us? important enough for us to discover what is this all about and how do we apply it into our own lives. But much like those in Jesus' day, we tend to misunderstand it too, don't we? Myself included. You know, um, as long as I can remember, um, you know, I grew up in a Korean church. My father was an elder um, since I was a really young child. And I remember when I was in grade school, one Sunday under a new pastor that came in, we suddenly stopped spending money on Sundays, Right? Does anyone has anyone else experience this growing up in the church? No, just me? Okay. <laughs> we, stopped, we stopped spending money on Sundays. It became like this new rule in, the, in this church because no more shopping, no more going out to eat. And I remember asking my parents why, like, why are we doing this? And I was told because when we spend money on Sundays, we are actually encouraging businesses to stay open, which prevents people from, who are working, you know, from going to church. And you know, as a 10-year-old, I was, like, trying to wrap my mind around this. I did not feel the moral dilemma of this, right? That it was me somehow buying a candy bar on Sunday is going to keep someone from becoming a Christian. And so on Sundays after church, while our parents were just, you know, in church all day, tied up in meetings, uh, me and some of my friends would sneak across the street, and we would go to this convenience store called the Quick, Quick Stop Shop. And we would take the $1 offering that we were supposed to put in the basket, <laughs> and we would buy candy, and we would play this video, Arcadian, called Double Dragon. <laughs> it was so fun. And I know, we were we we so bad. And I know there's some junior high kids here, so please don't judge me. Or worse yet, please don't, don't do what I did. <laughs> but this was kind of my first attitude towards the Sabbath. And fast forward a few years, I remember in eighth grade, I was trying to make the high school tennis team. And so I took lessons at a local club but the lessons were on Sunday nights. And, and when my youth pastor found out, who I really looked up to, I, I remember he pulled me aside and he asked if he could, we could have a little talk. And he shared with me that he felt that me you know playing tennis on Sundays was dishonoring the Sabbath. And he asked me if I would consider stopping. And I remember thinking, well, I, I didn't even know I was doing anything wrong. And I did, I eventually stopped because I felt guilty. But now I wonder how much better I would be at Pickleball today had I just continued those lessons in eighth grade. (laughs) And then you fast forward a few more years, and in college I attended a fellowship that was very intense. It was all about serving. You had to be all in. Morning prayers daily, help us set up and clean up, Bible studies, leaders' meetings, witnessing on the quad. And there was a saying among the leaders, especially, you know, when anyone got tired or complained about work, and the saying was, no rest until eternal rest. (laughs) No rest until eternal rest, which I later realized is just a holier way of saying, no breaks for you (laughs) until you die. (laughs) So this was kind of my experience with the Sabbath growing up. And I share this because these were some of the formative things that really shaped my perception of of the Sabbath, even today, as, as nothing more than really just a pious practice that good Christians obeyed, which was reduced to don't spend money on Sundays, Don't do things that you actually enjoy on Sundays. And the only things you're allowed to do is worship God, go to church, read the Bible, and pray. Fasting is optional. Napping is forbidden. (laughs) But that's it. That was the rules. And to be fair, I know my parents, my youth pastor, and my church growing up had good intentions. But I also think focusing on this external obedience of this law can cause us to miss the bigger reason for why God gave it to us. And I think this was true of the Pharisees as well. And Jesus was not afraid to call them out on this. They may have started with good intentions, but their self-righteousness led to some pretty ridiculous interpretations of what it meant to observe and honor the Sabbath. I want to just share a couple examples. One is not tying, tying knots. The Pharisees, they had this elaborate rule about tying, not tying on Sabbath. Some knots were permissible but others were not. And it all came down to how complicated the knot was, and, it, and if the tying of it would qualify as work, right? So can you imagine? Like, overhand knot was really easy, no problem, you can do that on the Sabbath. Water bowline knot, no, you cannot do that, you rebellious sinner, <laughs> right? And so that was one example. Another is blowing out a candle. Apparently, one of the big debates among the Pharisees is whether it's permissible to blow out a candle on the Sabbath, some argue that extinguishing a fire was work while others felt this is, this is okay, it's allowable, as long as you don't exert yourself too much in the blowing, right? And so it makes me wonder how Jewish children actually celebrated their birthdays if it fell on the Sabbath. Like, could you blow out your candles? Or as you got older, is it too, it would it qualify as work because there's more candles to blow out? I don't know. But even today, this is a real issue for Orthodox Jews. You know, one of my pastor friends posted this on Facebook actually a couple days ago. And it's a sign that he found in a hospital in St. Louis, and and it it was interesting to me. Do Do you know what the purpose of a Sabbath elevator is? It's an elevator that runs continuously on the Jewish Sabbath, which begins on Friday evening and runs to Saturday evening, right? And as well as Jewish holidays. And it stops at every floor continuously to keep anyone from what? From having to push the buttons on the elevator on the Sabbath. Because they didn't want that to be deemed as work, pressing a button. And so I find it fascinating that this practice, to this level of detail, is still very much alive today, at least for Orthodox Jews, but is this really what God intended when he gave us the Sabbath command? And if this is not what God intended, then what, if any of it, is still relevant to us as Christians today? Well, I believe it's more relevant today to us than ever, right? Despite what many Christians today may think, this is, the Sabbath law is not an Old Testament command that has been abolished under the new covenant. Right? Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 makes it clear. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort, every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. See, under the new covenant, the Sabbath idea is not to be rejected. It's to be redefined. And it's redefined to what God intended to be, and as Jesus taught us and and Jesus showed us. And we need to enter this promise of rest by doing our best to continue to, to honor the principle and to honor the practice of it. But before we can change our practice, we need to change our perception And that begins with how we view not just this command, but all of God's commands. And so, in order to experience something as a blessing, I think you you have to first see it as inherently good, right? And this is where we often get stuck, right? We look at God's commands and we're like, "Mm, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. You know? Do you see all of God's commands as good? Do you see God's commands as for our good? You know, a few years ago, I, I read this, this uh, quote, this book from Chuck Smith called Love the More Excellent Way, and this quote has stuck with me. And he said this, As you study God's law, as given in Scripture, you see that in essence, God prohibited destructive choices, choices that are destructive to your health, to your relationship with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, and destructive to your relationship with God. And he outlawed these things that naturally destroy you. On the other hand, he mandated the things that build you up, that make you a better person and enhance your relationship with others and magnify your relationship with God. And he plainly warns us of the consequences of violating his law. And he does so because he is gracious, not because he is not. So what, what is it about the fourth commandment that we can learn about the heart of God? What is God calling us to? I think when you look at Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8, which is our main text today, it gives more of a framework to understand the Sabbath because it shows us not only what Jesus preached, but it also showed us what he practiced in regard to the Sabbath. And so let me read that, Matthew 12, 1 through 8. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What's going on here? Well, Jesus, he's going head-to-head with the religious powers that be. And the issue, this issue is constantly sending them into a frenzy. They don't understand why Jesus and his followers just can't, just can't obey the rules, right? Right? And Jesus exposes them. He exposes their hypocrisy. He exposes their illogic by pointing out these instances where these rules are apparently violated and yet not considered a sin in God's eyes, like first in the life of David and then in the vocation of a priest. But Jesus' greatest grievance is that they have missed the bigger picture and the basic point of the Sabbath. And as the author and the authority of the Sabbath, he points out what matters to God is not the strict observance of rigid rigid regulations that define what is work and what qualifies as work and what doesn't. But to Jesus, the Sabbath was about renewal. It was about the renewing of of the mind and the body and the spirit of a person. How? Through experiencing his rest and through expressing life-giving acts of mercy and kindness and compassion towards others and towards yourself. Jesus defined the Sabbath as the renewal of mind, body, and spirit by experiencing his rest and by expressing life-giving acts of kindness and compassion to myself and to others. And this is why it didn't bother Jesus when his disciples picked grain to eat on the Sabbath when they were hungry. This was a way of being kind, kind to their own physical bodies and attending to their, their, their basic physical needs. Nor did Jesus think twice about healing a lame man or the blind on the Sabbath. This was an expression of life-giving compassion and kindness one to another. Nor did Jesus refrain from teaching about the good news of the kingdom for hours on end at the temple on the Sabbath, because this is how minds would come to be renewed. And these things were not to be prevented on the Sabbath, but promoted and practiced as Jesus taught and showed us. But these are the very things that would infuriate the Pharisees though these embody the true spirit of the Sabbath. You know, in in Mark's account of in his gospel, of the same interaction, he gives us a little more color on Jesus' statement by by saying this. He, He prefaces it with, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Meaning the Sabbath was made by God, For us, the Sabbath is not our gift to God. The Sabbath is God's gift to us. And until we can see this command as a gift from God instead of our gift to God, we will never truly understand it or practice it the way that God intended. Instead of what is forbidden in this command, I think a better way to think about it is what is it that God is inviting us into? What good gift does God wish to give us as his children? Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease from all normal work and activities and to rest. To cease from all normal activities and work and to rest. And it's a call not just to stop our our jobs or our occupation or vocation, but to stop all normal activities. And that includes household chores, regular responsibilities, all the things we do throughout the week and set aside a time to be fully present. One day to be fully present with God, fully present with ourselves, fully present with our loved ones. Therefore, to make Sabbath a reality, we have to actually be very intentional in making it a weekly reality in our lives, right? Uh, Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, this is a great book, I highly recommend. I want to quote quite a bit from this today. She says this, Sabbath-keeping is a way of ordering all of life around a pattern of working six days and then ceasing and resting on the seventh. It helps us arrange our lives to honor the rhythm of things, work and rest, fruitfulness and dormancy, giving and receiving, being and doing, activism and surrender. The day itself is set apart, devoted completely to rest, Worship and delighting in God's good gifts. But the other six days of the week must be lived in such a way to make Sabbath possible. Paid work needs to be contained within five days a week. Household chores and shopping and errand running need to be completed before the Sabbath comes, or they need to wait. Courageous decisions must be made about work and athletics, church and community involvement. I'll repeat that last line courageous decisions must be made about work and athletics, church and community involvement. You know, it takes courage to make those difficult decisions, to be intentional about preserving our Sabbath. You know, the original command opens with this, remember the Sabbath day. Remember. Why? Because in the busyness of life and in our relentless ambition to achieve more, to move upward and onward, to do more, to get more, we are prone to forget. We choose to ignore. We quickly dismiss our need for rest. And so God says, no, don't forget that. Remember. And God tells us that we remember by doing what? He says, by keeping it holy. And what does that mean? Well, holy simply means to be set apart. So we honor this day by setting it apart from all other days. And so it should look different. It should feel different. And to make it happen, we have to be proactive in intentionally ordering our lives so that our normal activities, our regular obligations, our chores are completely completed or they're set aside so that on this day of the week, we can be free. We can be free for what? Free to be fully present to God and to others. Free to live well and to love well. Free to enjoy the giver and his many gifts to us. Free to engage in those things that give us life in honor of the giver of life. And so, what might this look like in a practical sense? Well, Barton says this. She says, So then, what is it to replace all that we are excluding from our Sabbath time? The simple answer is whatever delights and replenishes you, body, mind, and soul. What do we do on the Sabbath? What should we be doing? Whatever delights and replenishes you, body, mind, and soul. And she gives a myriad of activities that restore and replenish our bodies, like taking a nap. (laughs) You know, I didn't realize taking a nap could actually be like worship on a Sabbath. (laughs) Going for a bike ride or a walk, taking a nice bath, (laughs) eating good food. You know, and she points out things that bring our mind and our spirit to rest, like just reading a good book just for pleasure. Lying in a hammock, taking a dog for a walk, doing something creative, playing an instrument, drawing or painting or singing avoiding things that distract or drain you, like watching TV or getting on Netflix or on your computer. And she speaks of engaging in things that restore your soul, like worship and quiet reflection. And she says the soul is the part of us that gets most lost during the work week, which is governed almost completely by the value of productivity. Spend some time, extra time in silence and prayer. Take a slow meditative walk or read a spiritual book that God has been using in your life and then journal about it. You may want to give a particular attention to those things you are grateful for which will lead to private worship or an experience or a scripture from the past week that caught your attention because God seemed to have something to say in and through it. It is an amazing thing to have space to listen, ponder, and make meaning. I love that last line. It's an amazing thing to have space to listen, ponder, and make meaning. Don't these things seem more like a gift, right, and more life-giving than just observing a religious ritual? Doesn't this capture the spirit of the Sabbath more than being vigilant about what you're not supposed to do or what qualifies as work? While Sabbath is not about what I give to God but what God wants to give to me, it is also very much a communal activity and a blessing to be experienced in the context of community. By God's design, the entire nation of Israel was to observe the Sabbath together because when it is observed in this way, it allows us to give everyone the space needed to become more aware and attend, and not just our needs, but the needs of our family and the needs of our community and the needs of the people around us, just as Jesus did. And if you notice in Exodus 20 how far-reaching this command goes and who it impacts, it says, on it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Everyone, everything, even our farm animals and foreigners, were to observe the Sabbath. Everything was to be shut down so that everyone can participate by being fully present to God and others. Well, what might this look like in the context of our families? Well, here's some more thoughts from Barton on how we can bless our families by honoring the Sabbath. She says, as a family, if children are old enough, consider maintaining a quieter and more spacious feeling in your home for at least part of the day. Pay attention to how you can express love to each other on this day. Identify rituals or shared activities that create a spirit of reverence for God and enjoyment of each other. Share a special meal preceded by the lighting of candles and a scripture reading. Over dinner, go around the table and share where God seemed particularly present with you during the week. Turn off the TV and talk with each other. Take a walk together. Play games. Write or call long-distance loved ones. Open your home to friends, family, or neighbors. You know, and I read this, this is actually very liberating for me, because especially since at a young age, I actually felt guilty for playing sports, playing a game on a Sunday. And you know, one of my favorite activities on Sundays in recent years is playing softball with my boys. And it stretches back to when I was teaching them the sport. But it's one of the few things that, you know, at our ages now, we can actually enjoy doing together. And, you know, this past Father's Day, I got cards from each of my boys, and that was one of the things that they both mentioned on their own, It's just how much, how they were looking forward to playing softball again. And so I realized, not only should I not feel guilty in doing this with my boys on Sunday, but this is the kind of thing, actually, that God envisioned as honoring the Sabbath, spending time with loved ones, doing things that we enjoy together the sabbath is a time to be freed to notice and to fill the needs of others it is a day to give life and to receive life it is so necessary that if we refuse it or if we resist it sometimes it will seek us out wayne muller in his book sabbath says this if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives illness becomes our sabbath our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. Now, this is a heavy quote, okay? And I don't want you to misinterpret as somehow, well, if you don't observe the Sabbath, then God is going to punish you with these infirmities, right? But the reality is sometimes we actually do this to ourselves. We drive our own bodies to the ground when we fail to give it the proper rest that it needs, the regular rest that it needs. And yet what Muller is saying here, I think, is that still... God in his mercy can take us to those places and can redeem these moments and these seasons. And this quote reminded me of of actually our own cancer journey and a blog post that I wrote two months after my wife Kim was diagnosed um, with cancer back in 2012, and she was going through very intense chemo. And I realized now how God had given me, actually that was like my first real encounter with the beauty and the blessing of Sabbath rest even in the midst of some really horrible circumstances. And before I read it, I want to actually play a little audio clip um, from a voicemail that I got from my daughter, Stela, when I was at work. And at the time, she was only three years old. And I, I'm sharing this with you because it will give you some context for the post that I'm going to share. Thank dear. I didn't see you going to work today. I miss you. Why are you not putting on your phone? <laughs> Hold me back. It's very sappy, I know. <laughs> but I wanted to remember this voicemail and actually... I actually put the background music to it myself. Do you like that? That's, that doesn't come on my voicemail work. But I got this voicemail like six months before Kim got sick. And I want to read this post, and I apologize, it's a long post, but as I read it, I hope you can see how even forced rest can be a form of God's favor. And so I wrote this on March 7, 2012, and I just called it Moments of Grace. I said, Yesterday, yesterday's temperature soared up to nearly 70 degrees. This is very unusual in early March for people who live in Chicago. Although Kim is still feeling physically weak and is neutropenic, getting outside is okay as long as there are not lots of people around. So we found a secluded park near our home and had some unscheduled family time. And when you realize, when you realize what a new, that a new day is never promised to you, you quickly learn to savor the small moments that each day has to offer. The little things that you used to take for granted, become give big gifts from God. The presence of sunshine, the absence of pain, the laughter of, of your children, the breeze on your face. All of these gifts of grace from the giver of every good and perfect gift. Um... The second half of last year was one of the busiest times of my life. I was working a ton of hours at my job, I was taking three seminary classes, I was trying to be faithful with my responsibility at church and home, and I was stretched incredibly thin, and I told Kim late last year that this was the most stress I'd ever been in my life, and I felt like I'd taken on more than I could handle. And Kim rarely complained, even though she was basically a single parent last year, but she and the kids hardly saw me at all. And before the cancer hit, in early January, I told Kim that I was not going to do that to myself or to her again, and I vowed to be home more. Well, God honored that desire, and I've spent more time with Kim and the kids in the last two months than I have spent with them in the last two years. Selah, who's was almost four, has always favored Mommy over me, always insisting that Mommy put her down to bed, but that's beginning to change now. We are getting tight. <laughs> I remember in July of last year, I got this voicemail from Selah at work, and when I got into my office in the morning, and reflecting upon it now, I realized, I realized how much she really wanted to spend more time with her dad. And now I'm pretty sure she's getting more daddy time than she could possibly want. (laughs) Last month, Kim and I were driving down Northwest Highway on our way to a doctor's appointment, and it was about 7.45 a.m., and as we were driving, I looked over to my right, and I noticed the metro commuter chain running right next to us, keeping perfect pace with our car. And I glanced at the clock, and I exclaimed to Kim, hey, that's my train. The train traveling next to us was literally the same train I've been taking every morning for the last 12 years. And if Kim didn't have cancer, I would be sitting on that exact train, reading a paper, checking my Blackberry, living life as I'd always lived it. It then dawned on me at that moment just how much our lives had changed. But instead of longing for healthier, happier days, I was overwhelmed with thankfulness. Cancer sucks, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I would never trade my life on that train going to work over my life in that car going to the hospital because I would have forfeited all the miracles that God has shown along the way and all the blessings he's lavished on us. Don't get me wrong, I still have moments where the kids drive me nuts, but I'm learning to treasure this season in our lives. And all the time we are enjoying together, I'm learning that each new day is a gift from God. I'm learning to appreciate things I used to take for granted. Thank you, Jesus. And that was, that's what I wrote over 10 years ago And in one of the busiest seasons of my life, I was forced into a season of rest. And it was one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me. And while at times these seasons can be thrust upon us, God's desire is that we practice them for our good and experience the fullness of joy and delighting in him. This is why we Sabbath. I want to share one last quote from Ruth Haley Barton. She says, I have experienced this love Myself in the joy and relief that washes over me when Sabbath comes, when the house has been prepared when special food has been brought, bought, computers have been turned off and cell phones powered down, when final emails have been sent and the laptop has been closed, when work obligations have been completed or set aside, when the candles or the fireplace have been lit and it's time to stop. With whatever, whether everything has been finished or not, I know what it is like to rest for hours until I have energy to delight in something. Savory food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul when I thought it might never come back again. I know what it's like to see home and family, friends, and community differently through Sabbath eyes of delight in God's good gifts. I have experienced rest that turns into delight, delight that turns into gratitude, and gratitude that turns into worship. I know what it is like to recover myself so completely that I am able, by God's grace, to enter back into my work with a renewed sense of God's calling and God's presence. How could you not love a day that does all that? How could you not sell everything you have for this pearl of great price? You know, I love that line. I've experienced rest that turns into delight. Delight that turns into gratitude. Gratitude that turns into worship. Isn't that what the Sabbath is supposed to bring us to? Not a preoccupation with laws, but into the presence of Jesus himself. A rest that fosters delight and gratitude, which leads us into worship of the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the gift of the Sabbath. He's our great reward. And at the end of Matthew 11, right before Jesus encounters the Pharisees on the issue of the Sabbath, right before the Matthew 12 chapter passage we read, you know what Jesus says? I think people miss this a lot because it's it's cut into a different chapter. But right before that, he he says these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Before Jesus even shows the Pharisees what it means to honor the Sabbath, he is sharing with the world that he himself is the one in whom we would find rest. And so he bids all to come. Whether you're tired, if you're weary and burdened, come. I will give you rest. I'm gentle and humble in heart. This is, this is a good place for you. You know, in the beginning, I shared about our sabbatical, but um, all the things that we did, and I spent with family and my wife, and it was all so good. <clears throat> and yet, um, as I entered into the last month of my sabbatical, I, 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 I still didn't feel quite, like, rested. And um, one of the last things I did in, towards the end of May is I, I actually went to this two-day retreat, and it was uh, led by Ruth Haley Barton, who I've quoted time and time again today. It was really cool, actually, to, to meet her and to kind of sit under her teaching. And um, even the way that the, the retreat was scheduled, it was just, it was really good. It was really restful for my soul. And they carve out all this time for silence and solitude, he said, if you're tired, just take a nap. It's okay. And so I did. I took a couple hour nap, you know. I didn't feel guilty about it. I paid a lot of money for that nap, but it was besides <laughs> that, it was, it was a good nap. And I remember the next morning, I got up really early and I started um, just walking around this big lake. You know, as the sun was rising. And I realized in that moment, you know, um, just how much I in the quietness and in the silence and in solitude, um, how much I actually really miss God. And um, that's that's not an easy thing to say as a pastor, you know. Um, but I, I really miss God. I missed Jesus. And I realized, you know, in the doing and the working and ministry, you can get so caught up in, in the doing. And um, even the way you read the Bible as a pastor... <laughs> It just becomes always about, like, what, what can I, how can I take this and now teach it or process it in a way that can be beneficial to others? And I realized, you know, in that moment that, um, that since I've been in ministry, it's been, very, it's been very far and few between that I've just been able to have moments with, with just God himself, just me and God, just for me and God, just a word for me, not for anyone else. And... Um, and I could only find that when I was able to just quiet my heart and be still before God in silence and solitude. And so that's actually one of the rhythms I realized. I've got to implement this now that I'm back, you know, is um, I'm not going to get a sabbatical <laughs> every year, but I can do this. And, and, um, and so regularly I've been just carving out times, so even if it's just 20 minutes a day of just sitting in silence before God, seeking, listening. And so I want to give you just I want to ask you in this moment, you know, you've come here to church to observe to you know the Sabbath in some regards, to experience his rest, to worship him. And yet I want you to just take a moment in the quietness of this room to listen to your body, to listen to your mind, to hear your soul. What is it telling you? What does it want? What are you seeking? Listen to your body. If you feel sluggish, if your neck is sore, if your eyes feel heavy, if you need caffeine to get through the day, if you have trouble falling asleep at night or waking up in the morning, listen to your body. Your body is telling you, I I need Sabbath rest. And Jesus says, come. Examine your mind. What is your mind doing? Especially in these quiet moments. Is it racing? Is it always thinking about the next thing that needs to get done? Is it impossible for you to just sit and be still? Is it trying to solve the next problem or issue? Do you have trouble falling asleep when you wake up at night? Because all the thoughts that are swirling in your head... you consume with how you can improve your life or the life of your children or how to move ahead in a job or find a job or to advance in your career. Examine your mind. What is your mind telling you? Your mind needs Sabbath rest. And Jesus says, come. Renew your mind and sit at my feet and I want you to take a moment just lastly just feel your emotions what are your emotions telling you are you surprised at how easily you lose your temper with your spouse or your children how frustrated you get with your coworkers or your boss do you find yourself welling up in tears in ways that catches you off guard Do you find yourself with emotions that are so strong that it's difficult to regulate or control and you work so hard to resist it or reject it? Then your emotions, your heart, your soul is saying, just, I need rest. And Jesus says, come. Bring your heart, bring your soul, bring your mind. I've called you to love me in this way because I love you in this way. And so let's just take one minute in the quietness of this room and let's listen to our bodies and our minds and our souls and our worship team will will lead us um, in response.